service. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. rock roll Hey friends, Volume.com is a free platform with live stream performances, concert broadcasts, and a video archive that includes performances by Brothers Osborne, Dinosaur Jr., Marcus King, Tyler Childers, Weezer, and more. I like that though. That thing is really cool. All that behind the nut stuff that he does is so badass. <laughs> One, two, three, four, one. Ah. How great is that? Hey there, it's time for another fine edition of Shred with Shifty. I'm Chris Shiflett, your host as always, and we have a player's player episode for you today with my man Brent Mason. But before we get into that, got some things to go over. You guessed it, you haven't bought enough tickets for my Irish and uh, British uh, tour dates in March, so I'm just going to keep pestering you people until you do, until those shows are sold out. Every one of these episodes is going to say the same thing. Get your tickets today at something on the screen. is going to tell you where to go. ChrisShifflettMusic.com be a good place to start. Got to get those tickets sold, baby. By the way, just so you know, me and the boys recently recorded a couple cover songs. We did a, um, a countrified version of Cowboy Song by Thin Lizzy. And we did also kind of a countrified version of Don't You Ever Leave Me by Hanoi Rocks. And Cowboy Song is coming out soon. It might even be out by the time this episode airs. I'm not sure. But we're going to take those... Bundle them into a nice little digital EP. Uh, I think we're going to throw a couple of live songs on there. We're going to throw a couple of acoustic versions on there. And it's going to be great, and that's coming soon. But look for a Cowboy Song. It might be out by now. And if it's not out by now, it's, it'll be out soon. Thin Lizzy, one of the greatest guitar bands of all time. So that was a lot of fun to do. A lot of this in there, a lot of that. You know it. As always, follow me on all the various social media platforms. With today's episode and every episode, you know, learn it, film it, post it. 
and tag us, tag Shred with Shifty, tag Shred with Shifty's Instagram account, tag it all. We want to see what you're doing. We want to see how you're learning. We want to review it. And uh, most importantly, don't forget, everybody wins on Shred with Shifty. Oh yeah, and also, did you know that you can get not just ad-free versions of the show, but exclusive content over on volume.com slash Shifty. So get over there, get your exclusive content today. All right, let's get into today's interview with my buddy, Brent Mason, one of the top Nashville session guitar players of the last several decades. If you've listened to country music in like the last 30 years or so, then you've definitely heard his shredding all over tons of hit songs. Today we're focused on one of the solos he did in Travis Tritt's Southbound Train, which apparently he hadn't listened to since about the time he recorded it. But Brent, being the fantastic teacher that he is, went back and learned it note for note and goes over the whole thing and all the glorious detail. Um, and he is a really good teacher, you're about to find out. I learned that from a few years ago, stumbling across his website, brentmason.com, where you can go today and book a Zoom lesson from him, which I did. I've taken a few of them, and he's great, fantastic, great guy, great teacher. Check it out. This is Brent Mason on Shred with Shifty. What's up, buddy? You, you. <laughs> today... <laughs> And uh, just everything, man. Everything good. Nice, dude. What? What? So you're? That is not the guitar, is it? No, uh, this is the, the, the. Oh, god, that's a good one. This is the uh, custom shop model of the Fender. Yeah. So Where, where's the? One? I was. Uh, where's Where's the real? Yeah, I know. I was. I was. I was stringing this up, and I just started playing it. I just forgot I was playing this. Like, I could go get it. It's in the other room. Oh, it's it's okay. I just wanted, yeah. I was I was thinking about that when we were heading into the into this. I wanted to ask you some questions. Like, I know that's not like I was trying to match your guitar. Oh, there you go. I like it. Yeah. Is that a butterscotch you got there? Yeah. Oh, nice. Is 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 the guitar? Is it the one? Um, that's not the. I should have got the damn thing. I don't know what. I was so involved in trying to warm up that I, I forgot what guitar I was playing. It's referred to as a Nashville guitar, but it's not the first Nashville guitar, is it? Is but it's kind of like the definitive Nashville guitar. Uh, yeah, I, I, some say, uh, arguably, yeah. Who who put that setup together first? Like, where'd you get that that idea from with putting that that? Uh, uh, well, there was a there was a guy way back eighties, mid eighties. His name was Sid Hudson from West Virginia. He passed away from cancer. Uh, few years ago but he had the the middle pickup in a telly and i thought that is so cool now i know guys like steve morris had like bunches of them you know and other guys just stuff but he had this uh pickup in the middle and i thought that was cool so i had joe glazer now i didn't know how his was wired or anything i think he just had a switch to turn it off and on this has a volume knob to uh control it well i mean well there's no middle pickup on this i'm going oh where the hell is it but okay, here we go. See, there's a, a volume knob in the middle there. That okay. And what what are those pickups exactly? What? No, what? they're all Seymour's. It's like Seymour vintage stack in the back, uh, like a hot stack in the middle where that red cover is, and, uh, and this is a Seymour uh, baby humbucky. Wait. So you so even in the bridge you have a stack. Yeah. Let me, let me play it. <laughs> Might be a good idea. 
Is is a stack like? Is that like a? So does that make like more? Is it more of like a humbucker kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. See, the whole plan was back when I had hardly had any money, and I was trying to, you know, I, I couldn't afford to get a Les Paul and a Telly and a Strat. Sure. So I just uh, I tried to make that one be all kind of all purpose. This. Do you, yeah, do you, is it set up so you can split that so the bridge can be a single coil or be a humbucker? Is it that kind of thing? I never split that coil. It was put in like that on my original, but I never used it. I never found a, a benefit for it. To me, it didn't sound good. So now the pull knob is just takes, it turns off the middle pickup or turns it on, pulling out. I'll show you. Yeah, pu- putting it down brings in the middle pickup full on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but with with the bridge pickup, do you? Because because I hear your your you know a lot of your classic guitar solos and stuff don't sound like you're playing it on a stacked humbucker style. It sounds like it's got that telly twang to it. So yeah, I- that's why I like Seymour's uh, vintage pickups are quiet and they're clear, and they still you know they sound like a, a old fifties. Uh, early 50s tellies, fat and poppy, you know. Wow. Even when it's a, even though it's a humbucker, that's, that's really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. stack. Whatever that is. It's like a stack of pancakes, you know, it's better than eating one pancake. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So funny. Well, it probably doesn't hurt to have your, uh, your guitar chops, too. Right. Well. Right. Yeah, not too shabby. Um, Thank you. Can you give me the quick sort of Reader's Digest version of, like, how did you become the session guitar player, you know, like, king of the session guitar players that, that you became? Well, the path was, it, you know, I started, I started playing in a club. It was a honky-tonk redneck club. And the, all the players were pretty good. It was Paul Cook playing drums, who played with Jerry Reed, so he was already funky, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Don Kelly was a Texas kind of blues, uh, country blues uh, bass player. And we, we just started playing. All of a sudden, we got, you know, well-known with musicians. We were kind of the musicians, musician band, you know. In, in Nashville? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we were overplaying and all kinds of stuff. Wait, did you just say Don mm-hmm. Kelly was the bass player? Yeah. Don played bass and sang lead singer. It was his band. And I just, I just rolled in. I was about 20. Is that the same Don Kelly that had his, the, I mean, I think still has a long time uh, residency thing at, um, uh, what's that spot down right across the Roberts? Alley. Roberts Western World. Yeah, yeah. I think he retired, though. He retired oh, okay. to uh, Florida somewhere. Okay. Uh, it was his band, getting back in retrospect, getting, it was his band, and he had hired me. I, I, I was only like 20 years old, very, you know, green. Wet behind the ears, but I uh, <clears throat> was playing a Hagstrom <laughs> Swede. I'm laughing. It was a it was a great sound of guitar, but nobody's. I I thought who else is playing a Hagstrom? I don't know. I thought Bob Seger was the only one. I you you know who the is the king of the Hagstrom guitars? Who is it? Is uh, is my bandmate Pat Smear? As is a that matter right? Of fact, he has a signature mm-hmm. Hagstrom out there. I'll have him send you one. It's a great guitar, but everybody made fun of it. And I thought, <laughs> Listen to it, man. Don't look. Don't use your eyes. But anyway, right. Don Kelly was teasing me about it. And he said, you got to get a tell ear, you know, 
strap, but I, if I was you, I'd get a telly. And I go, yeah, you're right. So we went out and got a, we both bought a telly at Hughley's Music in East Nashville back then in the 80s. I just got it off the wall. And it was somebody had traded it in. It, it, it didn't have the middle pickup stuff. I added all that later yeah. with Joe. But uh, what was the initial question you were asking me before I tell my whole life story? How you became king of the session rippers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was, it was, the time was just perfect for everything was kind of coming out of that urban cowboy thing. If you remember that, you remember right. the John Travolta sure. urban cowboy, everything was smooth and silky and running. Jimmy Bowen was running direct signals on everybody. Reggie Young was playing Billy Joe Walker. They were all running direct. They hated it, but they, but they made it sound good. You know, yeah. Red, yeah. you know, your eyeballs would pop out on the way home trying to, you know, after trying to make this thing sound like an amp, you know, direct. Yeah. Back then, there was no uh, Kempers and stuff like that, of course. Sure, sure. And uh, we went in. Uh, they just put Brooks and Dunn together, Ronnie Dunn and Kix Brooks. And they were just roadhouse, you know. They were roadhouse kind of singers, and uh, they, they were already doing they, – they just put them together. I don't even think they knew each other. So we did Boot Scoot and Boogie, and I had taken in a – I brought in a, like an old twin that was buzzing. And uh, Scott Hendricks was the engineer. He's running Warner Brothers now. He's, he's president of Warner Brothers in Nashville. But back then, he was just the engineer. And he goes, could you quiet that thing down a little bit? It's buzzing. And I thought it was kind of cool that it was buzzing, you know, because I used to list old records. If you list the Beatles, you'd hear all kinds of squeaks and sure. buzzes and thinking, wow, I got my money's worth. This sounds so real. <laughs> so I thought it was cool. So I, you know, when it would buzz, I'd, I'd like, you know, without being able to do that. But and Scott goes, we got to get that buzz out of, the, out of the sound. And I said, well, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's an amp, you know. So he dealt with that, whatever. But anyway, getting off of that back on. Your, your question. We started just playing raw again with amps and stuff like that. Uh, and Dwight Yoakam was already doing that out the West Coast with Pete Anderson stuff. I love sure. that. So, yeah. you know, all that was just kind of brewing at the time. And it just kind of got to be a cool thing. And I was kind of noted for that just in Nashville anyway, you know, so it just, I just sort of caught fire. Everybody said, yeah, we got to have you on this record. So it kind of parlayed from there. I mean, I have to imagine in Nashville at any time throughout sort of country music history, that has to be, that had to be a, a tough wall to break through, you know? Oh yeah. There's so many great players there. And I bet, you know, so many of them would love to have gotten all those gigs. I mean, what was that like in the nineties, early two thousands? Like, were you just, were you like three sessions a day, just, Six days oh, a week. yeah, we, we were going, oh, it was, I wasn't even home much at all. I'm just, yeah. uh, we were running between fast food, you know, and Arby's and McDonald's and Burger King, whatever. That's our lunch. And then we were heading to the next studio on the other yeah. side of Music Row or, or, you know, on the south side of Nashville, whatever. That's all we were doing. And we just kind of stumble in at home around 11 p.m., uh, and that would, that would go every day. You know, if, if, if you think back on, uh, even our predecessors, you know, like, uh, uh, Reggie Young and all those guys, even, uh, uh Grady Martin and, and, uh, 
all those guys back that played on those records back then, they were they they would do ten to sixes and tens. Oh wow. We didn't do that. Yeah. But we felt it felt like we did worked all day and night. So compared to that, we had a pretty easy physically. But we were doing them every day, though. So. Would, would you ever get time to prepare? I mean, it doesn't sound like you would have time to prepare anyway. But, like, would, would you just have to walk in and knock it out of the park every time? Yeah. It, well, okay, just to kind of quickly explain the sessions in Nashville, we, we didn't even know what we were going to play. There was nothing handed out before time for us to prepare. Uh, sometimes we just des- we'd get there, designate a leader, and he would write out the charts, hearing them for the first time, and then we'd come in there and just you know and just play them how we felt they would go if there were certain signature parts. But uh, it, it was off the cuff for sure, and you know everything was analog tape, so it wasn't like you could you could punch in on the spot. You know it was very difficult, so you had to uh, really be uh, on your toes. I, I thought it was funny when when we were when we were talking about what song to uh, to focus on today, and, and yeah. you and you said that you hadn't heard this Travis Tritt song since you recorded it in nineteen. 19- I never played a period. I don't think. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's amazing. Like, like it, it made me wonder. Like, like are there are there certain artists that you worked with over the years, um, or songs that you played on, or particular solos that you have sort of more of an emotional connection to than others? Well, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, as far as uh, uh, you know, the Alan Jackson stuff, uh, Brooks and Dunn. Uh, you know, when when I was uh, working with like George Jones, you know, when I, like George Strait, I played on twenty three George Strait albums. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, and I, I had a, I had a connection there because <clears throat> just getting off the guitar for a while, the the the, the compositions were so good, you know. Uh, country lyrical writing was just uh, stellar, just deep stuff. You know, if, if you listen to Alan Jackson, there, he's a you know a contemporary version of that. In a sure. Way. Uh, if you listen to the stories, that you know, you could connect with them. They weren't just about trucks. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, tr- I like trucks, but there was a little more in life than trucks. And- well, sometimes. Uh, when you're when you're recording with Alan Jackson, Alan Jackson or uh, George Strait or, or one of the, or any of these these cats, are they in the room with you while you're cutting the track? Are they singing it while it's being cut? Are you getting feedback from them? Oh yeah, they were in there because I mean it's their record. If they wanted to come out the way they perceive it, they, you know it's a good thing to get it be in there. Sure, sure. Have a, the only artist I've done like four albums in a row with that wasn't there was Willie Nelson. Oh, wow. Willie would just give you the keys, and then, uh, you know, we'd cut the tracks, and then he would show up and, you know, do his solos, uh, overdub solos and vocals or whatever, or they'd send him out to his place in Austin. Uh, he's the only one I, I, I can think. Well, Shania, we did a couple tracks where she had already, Mutt Lang had already done the vocals on her. Okay. Well, Mutt does, a, I mean, he does, he does like strenuous preliminary work with it, pre-production. Mm. Everything's, he's got everything down to a, you know, to a one note. And yeah, it's all micromanaged. His, his, his album is done in his mind before we even started. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. 
Sometimes he'll experiment, you know, let us kind of go off and experiment a little bit, and he'll keep that. We'll think, oh, we, okay, this will be cool. The next day we come in, what's going to let us just, no. <laughs> no. Well, no, that's, I, okay, that's back really. Back on the drawing board. That's go really ahead. interesting, though. Like, who are the producers and artists that would just let you off the leash? Oh, lots of them. Uh, uh, Tony Brown would do that a lot. Keith Stegall, okay. who, who produced Alan. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them. Don Cook, who used to do a lot of records over, over Sound Shop, all kind, millions of records, thousands. Uh, so, mo- you know, most of them would just let you go because, uh, if there's an, like, let's say, uh, uh, when we did some of those records with, with like Joe Diffie, Joe was a great singer, you know, late great Joe. Yep. Uh, passed away during COVID. Sure. He uh, he said, "Now when you play a solo, just do crazy shit. Just do <laughs> that's great. You know, do crazy shit, and and then the guitars players that played in his band that tour that had to play it just would cuss me out, just totally. <laughs> Sometimes I'd have to get with them and show them because they couldn't figure it out. Not that they were bad. It's just I hate it when somebody's doing something and I have to copy them. You know, it's yeah, stuff yeah, we sure. don't like to do as studio musicians, but it's it's part of the you know the gig." Well, your solo playing, I mean, all your playing, but your solo playing in particular is like, it's so hard and technical and oftentimes super. <laughs> I know. Speed. Well, I, I love what's learning wrong your with licks. me. I, I love learning your licks because then I just play them at like half tempo and they still sound great. You know, I, I can't mean? even play the damn things. Actually. Yeah. I'm going, I, I listen to some of them and go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> well, it's like some- a board, a board musician in there, but I was, I was, you know, but when we do the hook licks, they got to be, you know, dumbed down a little bit. That's what we used. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it's, you know, we didn't need to go, you know, you know, for the intro. It, it was like, so, you know, so, but when it comes to the solo time, they just say, would usually just say cut loose. So we'd always try to figure out some kind of wacky endings and stuff like that in the nineties, mainly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we we'd do that, but I, I was always playing, wanting to make the musicians like it too, without getting fired off the session. You know? <laughs> that's a nice balance. Um, I remember doing something with Conway Twitty. He goes, "Boy, that's really good. You're good, but I don't think you need to play that many notes." <laughs> I go, "You're probably right." Uh, sage, sage advice. Sage advice. Hey, let, let's back up a little bit. Uh, okay. Your humble beginnings when you first started playing guitar. Who were the guitar players that made you want to be a lead player? Who were you listening oh, to? Oh well, Dad had a bunch of Merle Haggard albums and uh, the Strangers, Roy Nichols. Yeah, and so you know I loved Merle Haggard when I was a kid. I was more you know guided towards the musicians and and the the guitar playing later on. You know, and of course Merle Haggard songs are just. You know, a genius, amazing stuff. Yeah. I found that out later when I started to listen to lyrics and, uh, and realized they were important to the song. But anyway, Roy Nichols, uh, like Don Rich with Buck Owens. Sure. Uh, Jerry Reed, for sure, Jerry Reed. When I heard that. Yeah, you know, the claw. Sure. Kind of caught my ear, which, which was on one of his sixties at first, uh, unbelievable guitar voice of Jerry Reed. Uh, what else? So, uh, Albert Lee with Emmy Lou Harris, you know, mm. uh, for sure. Albert James Burton. Yep. For sure. With, 
all he all the work he did on on recordings and Ricky Nelson, Merle Haggard, and Elvis even. He always had that, you know, that hallmark uh, rhythm part, you know, everybody sure, plays. Sure. Everybody, if you play a train beat, everybody just gravitates towards that, you know. I'll say C. Did you get to interact with those cats at all? Like, was there uh, over? I say JB once in a while, James Burton. Nice. You ever pick uh, his brain on some of those old sessions, like who did what? I was in, um, uh, which Reba McIntyre studio, uh, down, down on Music Row. And uh, I was playing a, a gig with, uh, a session with James. And there was a kind of a, you know, a train kind of song or a fun song, sort of like a false prison type song false prison blues and somebody said Who, who's gonna play the solo i said james who's gonna play the solo on the end that goes all the way out i'll just grab a baritone go you know like whatever something like that that yeah, part of yeah. the baritone because i wanted to hear him play <laughs> I, I was sick of my licks you know because I, and i and i watched him play uh james play all the way out it was like third 40 five bars or 60 bars or something. He just wow. kept going. And yeah. I was watching him. I'm going, while he was doing, I'm going, that's where I got that. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and just the way he would know where the fade was coming, he'd, he'd stick on, he'd land on something and kind of repeat it like. Yeah, I'm going away, you know. And he would fade out like, oh, that's so cool. Wow. Because he kind of, you know, had a, had a instinct of where, where, you know, where the record was going to fade. You know, they used to fade a lot of records. Nobody fades much anymore. We always say, let's put an ending on this. That's really interesting. So you recognized your playing in what he was doing. Yeah. Stuff like, you know, that little chicken. Pig. Do you also see the influence you've had on the folks that have come after you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, and they're, by osmosis, they're getting James Burton and Albert right. and stuff, you know. <laughs> and Reed, a lot of Jerry Reed, a lot of Jerry Reed. Yeah. I mean, were you, when you were coming up, where did you take a lot of lessons? Because, like, you know, for people watching that maybe don't know, that just know you as the country dude, I mean, you've got crazy jazz chops, too, and, and presumably can play any kind of rock music. I'm, See, I went through a phase of listening to George Benson and Pat Martino, uh, you know, the late, great Pat Martino. Lost him, too. Great, great player. Listen to Pat Martino a lot to pick up those phrases, you know. Uh, what was that? You know, those kind of uh, little jazzy... Uh, look at the, the Benson kind of things. It's kind of mixed with Jerry Reed and Pat Martino in a way, if you get to listening. Interesting. A little bit. Not too outside. You can't, you can't do much in Nashville with that, but right. once a while I can right. get away with a little ear twister. But that's, uh, but that's like certainly in like country music history, there are plenty of guys over the years that were heavily jazz influenced. So that's, that's interesting that you, you have that lineage. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you, did you ever get producers going like, hey, uh, Brent, like, we don't need that jazzy shit on this thing, man. Just play. Oh, yeah. Stick yeah. to that honky. Stick to that twang. Oh, oh, for sure. I was doing, uh, Air, uh, uh, what was it? Neville brother? Ne what's his name? Aaron Neville? Yeah. 
And I, the producer, I will say, we, I was, I was practicing, I was, I was doing a bunch of, I was going. You know. Well, I was playing some Billy's Bounce or something where somebody was talking about Benson. And we were doing that, and I think the drummer was sitting, I mean, he went, started playing a, a jazz groove. Yeah. And uh, the, the producer came in and goes, what are you guys doing? We don't, we're not going to be playing that. And we went, oh, I'm, yeah, we know. We're just, we're just like warming up. He goes, yeah, but we're not going to be doing that. <laughs> so I thought, boy, warm, warm this is going to be a fun long day. <laughs> like, I mean, the session came out good. Really. It was, yeah. And Aaron was, I think, re- recording in uh, Soundstage. And uh, he was a sweetheart. Yeah, wow. Hey, do you, do you remember the first lead guitar lick you ever learned? Like the first thing you learned, you know, if it was... Or whatever it was where you went like, I'm a freaking lead guitar player now. Oh, yeah. See, when I, Chris, when I first started out, I was playing gut string guitar because Jerry Reed was playing. So when I was a, a kid, my dad had got me like a Spanish uh, guitar. It was strung up with steel strings, but it should have been uh, like a gut string. <laughs> and uh, I was, I went right into Jerry Reed stuff. So I didn't start like most guitar players start, you know, listening to Chuck Berry or, uh, or, or Hendrix or Eric Clapton, you know. Right. I was, I mean, later on I, I went into that and it was a Jeff Beck kind of drew me in. I, I started to be a fan of, you know, big fan of his, of course, like everybody yeah. else. But I, but I was playing Jerry Reed stuff. Um, and then when I started playing lead, you know, because Jerry Reed was not a lead player, but he was. He played on some records, you know, Waylon records and stuff like that. Uh, I listened. Uh, I When I was working out uh, Merle Haggard songs with the Strangers, Roy Nichols, uh, I would work up his uh, solos, James Burton. That That's when I, 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 I correlated that with, a, you know, that's a lead player right there. Right, sure. Sure. You know, doing fills in between lyrics and stuff, because uh, mom and dad were, uh, they had a lot of country albums. They, I mean, they had Ray Charles, too. We listened to a lot of Ray Charles. I love that. So there, there was a pretty diverse collection of music we, we listened to in our family. Mom played multi-instruments. Dad played and sang guitar. And they had a bunch of uh, wide, even like Louis Armstrong records, you know, way back. Uh, but, uh, when he played Merle Haggard, I heard all these solos and cool fills in between the lyrics, you know, fills. And I thought, that's what I want to do. All right. Show, show me a Roy Nichols thing you would have picked up back then. Like what's, what's in mind? Well, it's like, you got, was it not? There was a weird solo on, on this one. I can't remember. Well, I'm a honky night time man. I can't stand no lot. Get my rest in the daytime. Get my running around at night. And then Roy did. And when they went to D wet. Man. That's so you, the way it started, but but who would start a solo like this? Here we go now. 
what he did. It went to his... little better tone in that yeah i was aiming high uh well i was playing blues when i started out playing i was playing with ray charles albums and stuff okay. there was much guitar on it but you know just, just kind of even playing slide i picked up a table knife when i was a kid and used the back of it to play slide it was i was playing a ray charles album oh wow and uh so I played blues, and, the, and then I was playing blues so much, and I thought, no, I'm hearing other notes, too. I'm just, I'm, call me fucked up, screwed up, whatever, but I'm hearing crazy notes, you know. Then I heard... Yeah. Uh, Passing notes. Yeah, right. Altered scales and stuff uh, that I heard, like Wes Montgomery play and Pat Martino and Hank Garland, especially. <laughs> You know those kind of things like that, but uh, I I actually don't know things like that. <laughs> that's that's why well, you're on the show because I want to learn things like that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what then when I got you know people say yeah that's good and everything, but Don Kelly would go, no, you want your phone to ring, don't you? <laughs> I mean for work, and I went yeah. Uh, Can't do that. I thought I thought that's what everybody. I was listening to Buddy Emmons albums and stuff like that. Everybody was playing jazz in between. Yeah. When I came to Nashville, I went to jet a, a, at a club and they were jamming on bebop songs. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. So when I got out, I, I just brought it in everything. They said, don't, Don said, don't play, you got to play commercial, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, and I could do that just fine. I just thought it was the hip thing to do for everybody in Nashville. You know, it was kind of the hillbilly jazz thing. You know, Danny, Danny Gatton and all those guys were playing crazy. So they're doing that. The hotshot players around town are doing that on their free time yeah, to get yeah. their kicks. Right. All right. Let's right. talk a little bit about Travis Tritt's Southbound Train. Like, what do you remember about the day you recorded this song? Do you remember anything about it? Or was it just like a blur? I remember the studio it was in. Okay. Uh, Sound Emporium. And Billy oh, Joe really? Yeah. I made most of my new record at Sound Emporium. That yeah. is a fantastic. Sound Emporium A or the B? Uh, I think I think we were in A for most of it, and then also in some really small room doing vocals off to the side. Yeah, that's B. Yeah, A. Yeah. We cut a lot of records, and there's a lot of great records we're cutting there where you cut. Uh, we did a lot of Keith Whitley was cut in there. Oh, you what was that like, dude? What was Keith Whitley like, dude? You gotta you gotta talk a little. Key. I know that. Oh uh, well, I had a, I had a song, and I can't play it for you now. If you ask me, but it was a one called Heartbreak Highway, Fast Lane to the Blues. Each step I take leads me back to you, and there's nothing I can do. It was then it had to lick some kind of like. Boy, oh, again. Uh, but but Keith was he he cut this song of mine. That's when I came on. Most of the tracks were already cut for that Wonder Do You Think of Me album. Yeah, yeah. his last album, and most of the tr tracks were cut. And then he he recorded a song I wrote with Lonnie Wilson and Don Frimmer. Oh wow! Called Heartbreak Highway. It was on the yeah. album, and he said, but it had a bunch of picking on it, you know, like Telly picking on it. So I came in and did that. And he said, 
I want you to play on the rest of my album, Overdub on it. So I said, oh, wow, I thought that was so cool. I was so proud of, that he asked me to do that. So I uh, booked some more, like a few more days and, and overdubbed on, on some tracks of his on that album. And uh, then the, then there was like, we, we, we booked one more day where all the tracking guys, all the musicians were in there, and Keith was in there singing. And I swear to God, every... For, he got all the first takes on the singing. Really? He might have punched in one line or something, maybe because the lyrics were wrong or you know, wanted to change a few words on it or whatever. But I was really uh, impressed with, you know, I mean, he's a bluegrass singer, you know? Sure. Yeah. Those guys are, you know, they're tried and true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a deep skill set for yeah. sure. Yeah, and George Strait does the same thing. He sings a lot of times. He'll just, he'll just punch in a few lines, and it's so good. And then I'll hear some artists like, oh, my God, where's the fader? <laughs> Down. You know, I guess they'll yeah. get theirs later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's more like my my recording sessions. Um, <laughs> okay, so back to Southbound Train. Who was there with you that day? Like, who produced it? Was uh, Billy Joe Walker produced that. That's why I probably got by with all those crazy whacked. That, that was just whacked out. Uh crazy solos a lot of them were first takes um billy joe is you know a guitar player played on you know buku's records in la and then he moved to nashville and he did all jimmy bowen's records then he then he took the uh producer seat on this one uh he was he was producing like travis tritt and some other acts uh, a bunch of other acts i'm I'm not can't remember exactly but he was doing something then uh, he's not around anymore, too. We lost him years ago. Uh, on the, see who's playing drums? I think Greg Morrow on drums. Great player. Uh, I think the fiddle was either Stuart Duncan or Aubrey Haney. The fiddle was just explosive on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, I think the piano was John Jarvis. Okay. Great piano, you know, just amazing player. And, uh, you know, it was cut in 1999 in Sound Emporium A, where you were. Yeah. And there was, um, uh, of course, everything was analog tape, right? Sure. So you can't get away with <laughs> crossfades and stuff like that, you know. Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, this solo is perfectly, we're, and we're looking at the, I should mention, the second solo. It's, it's, it's sick. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, that, that, like... It feels like like perfectly kind of put together, but also wild at times, especially with the two sort of big licks in that last one. Uh, uh, especially, which which I should mention for people, I uh, in the interest of full disclosure here, I've taken a couple Zoom lessons from you in years past, and I recognized. Um, I, I don't know if this is kind of a, a signature lick of yours, but it sort of like sounds like a, a off the rails take on something you showed me uh, a few years ago. That, that thing, but it's like it's even bluer and more kind of out, you know. Play that again. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's yeah. an extent extension of that. You're right. 
Why yeah. is my guitar so thin today? Your guitar sounds so full and and beautiful, and I th- I'm going to have to switch pickups. Uh, see, I'm running, I'm running a right straight out. I'm just, I just put up a deluxe reverb, but it's a Tone Master, ah, and it's digital. And I, I'm not crazy about what the speakers sound like, but what, I'm running into uh, XLR direct into an iRig uh, uh, interface. So it's got. Okay, that's yeah. I'm also running a pretend deluxe and um and and straight in here through my Helix and playing a similar guitar. So what's the difference here, Brent? It's these, isn't it? God damn it! No, no. I've heard you rip off some some pretty explosive stuff. Key key part of that phrase: rip off. That's right. No, I mean the other <laughs> meaning of that word. <laughs> you're ripped. Yeah, you're ripped, that, baby. That, that's, that's what I was freaking ripped. That's what I was fishing for right there, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, do you remember, were you playing your, your, your number one? Uh, guitar on this like do you remember what guitar what amps pedals all that sort of setup yeah the amp to me the sound on this one uh was i love that sound i don't know if i ever got that back again what happened was i think that was a basement a 65 basement running through uh, uh like a couple of uh celestian 30 celestians uh and i normally if i'm doing stuff like that i'll, I'll put up a, like a i'll use a basement and a external speaker but most of the time i use a deluxe a blackface 67 that has a warehouse in it and that sounds good but i really it wasn't a crunch everything kind of got crunchy now when everybody's playing stuff which is cool i mean to get through these you know cracking tracks you almost got to have something if you're trying to play clean you just can't break through it right right because uh, you know how Nashville still mixes records, like everything's exploding. Well, so what is what is the secret for that for you? Because you have, I mean, it really is such a beautifully clean. Like I don't think of like this era of your work as having a lot of gain on there. So is it is it like a particular compression pedal or what 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 sort of? Uh, you know, actually, the the secret is kind of the one of them is is using the Memory Man, uh, the Deluxe Memory Man Electro Harmonics. Okay. And there's a gain knob on there. It's like a it's like a clean boost or something. Yeah. And I swear to God, when you when I'm using that and crank it up, it sounds like your your amp's going. You know, it's like an attenuator or something. You right. know, almost. It, the amp it makes the sound like you're you're driving the amp. So I don't know how it sounds direct, but uh, but you know that. It's got a little nasty to it, you know. Yeah, no, so just a little it. bit. 
So when you hit the... I, I tell you, honestly, that's one of the things that I admire with uh, so many uh, you know, pickers in, in the world of country. I come out of like loud, heavy metal, hard rock, punk rock kind of music for the most part and have always... Exactly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But I've always relied on a lot of gain. And even when I play my more sort of Americana stuff, I still have my, you know, sound is pretty gained up. So I love, I love hearing that. It's, it's amazing. Don't you use a, like a, a um, I'm guessing, a matchless, is it you use? Um, in Foo Fighters, I have uh, Friedman's. And, uh, and Friedman's are great. Oh, Friedman's are great. Friedman's are yeah. the best. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you something. You know the if you're gonna use software, yeah. Uh, United, uh, Universal Audio. Yeah, I know exactly. What you're I've been about. using the Friedman Clean for the telly, with, but it has four, uh, uh, like a cab, four twelve cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, set it up with that on the U on the UA stuff. It's it's amazing sound of the telly. It sounds like a, a, a Fender amp. Only you know with big balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna send Dave Friedman this clip, and he's gonna be very stoked. Yeah, the Friedman just just blew me away. I I'll be playing my engineer. I'll go. What is that you put up there again? We mess. He goes. That's that Friedman. I go. Oh, damn. That thing is just sick killer. Oh, man. dude, you got to get your hands on a real one, man. Get it out of the computer. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're back on the virtual stuff, you know, but it, it is getting pretty amazing. You know, I tried hard not to like that stuff. I got one of the first Kempers when it came out, and I tried not to like it. I know, I know. But I, I couldn't even tell the difference between mine. They go, that's mine. Nope. Wow. It's the Kemper. <laughs> I know. I Believe you me, I've gone completely Damn. to the dark side with a lot of But I still like to use amps and stuff, yeah. you know, because I, I always like to be surprised on how that amp's going to sound today in the studio when it's 30 degrees outside and I'm in this wood floor. Yeah. And I, I put the amp, and I go, it sounds like it's, it has a thing today, and it's kind of cool. It inspires me to play something else, so I like the element of surprise with it, you know. Yeah. I'm using the real I, stuff. My, my, uh, my rule is if somebody else is carrying your gear for you, Bring the real amps. If you have to throw your uh, your gear in your car and go to the gig, bring the iridium pedal. <laughs> right, that's a thing, you know. And uh, you know, it's easy to throw a deluxe in too, but it's still you know wear out your shoulders stuff carrying it. But you know, with with a camper, it's like walking in with a lunch pail. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to rock. All right, let's jump in here. So, Southbound Train, the second solo, Travis Tritt. The song is in the key of A. Like I mentioned before, it's really perfectly crafted, this solo, because it's like in four parts. And each part is over either the A chord or the E chord. So let's, let's get in here. First off, when you walk into... I was practicing. I'm sorry. I love it. You're yeah. talking. To, you're talking to me. Hey, hey, man, play away. That's the. We can't get enough of that. No, that's all right. That's I do that with my wife. So she goes. Did you hear a word? Oh, don't I we said? all? Don't we all? When you walk into a session and you hear this tempo and feel, are you like, oh, perfect? This is in my ripping wheelhouse tempo. This is perfect. Well, I actually like this tempo. This tempo of the Travis Tritt record is is my favorite country groove. Okay. Uh, because it's a Cajun, like a Cajun two-step. It's got that. Hey, yeah, well, there we go. 
that, that's a driving. It's just got such a great driving groove. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of a train beat, but it's got a little swagger uh, swing to it, you know. So you start this thing off with like it's kind of like a like a double stop, you know, inverted power chord thing with like a band and like a pop. How, how do you play that? Driving on a south, riding on a southbound train. It goes one, two, three, four. That's the lick right here. See, I, I screwed it up when I went in. I had to stop and do that. That one was, uh, it'll make your butt cheeks tighten up, right? You you couldn't get a sledgehammer, a needle in my ass with a sledgehammer, what they say. You might be the first guest that actually knows how they played the solo. Completely. <laughs> well, I had to learn it. I got I got a snow, slow down app on there. <laughs> I had to slow my ass down to figure out. All right, out well, t- walk me through slowly this first section over the A chord. So you got that that thing, and then are you? I, th- I think I've never started a song out like that before. Is normally you would with a bend like that, you would do like the. But are you doing? Yeah, it's a pre-bend, or or it might have been a, a quick one. Is a. That that's a that's a Jerry Reed thing. He would. Anyway, it was kind of a Reed thing. So with that, that first lick, is that are you the first notes the F sharp? Is that right? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Okay. That's it. And then what is that pull off exactly? It's a it's a A to uh, to B and a. A B A G triplet, fast triplet. Oh wait. Oh, let me play it in time. Just one, two, three, four. Uh, let me see if I can just put a groove. Hold a minute. You know, this we're we're old school here. Oh, that was wrong. I thought I had that. Can you hear that groove? Yeah. That's just it. One, two, three, four. Wow. So okay. That's that part. That's, that kind of thing takes a lot of confidence live, I feel like, to pull that off. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So I think we got a handle on that first section. Amazing. Uh, what is this big walk-up lick that you do that? Okay. It's like, there's like a, there's like a 16th note rest before. So one. Yeah, that's that's that was kind of whacked out. I'm gonna start using that again on some records because. Where I, are you I fingering all those? Uh, because there's a certain amount of ring uh, you want it to sustain. There's a certain amount of sustain on it that gives it its charm. You know. So where where are you fingering? Like how are you fingering that exactly? It's like. 
I start out with with the uh, the middle finger, sliding up from the C sharp to the D, and then then they kind of lay in. Then then it's the ring finger sliding from the minor third to the third, and then it's then it and then it's they're all half step uh, embellishments. And are you are you ringing out the? Uh, is that the high E ringing out? Yeah. It's like a one, two, three, four, one. If you, if you bend with, let's see, let, let me. I got, it's, it's all, it's middle finger. That grace note is, is a D note with, with, uh, with the ring finger and, and then a bend with the middle finger up when you get to that 12th fret. So it, Oh yeah, if, yeah. I, I see what yeah. you're saying. I, I make that mistake often where I I bend with the ring finger and then try to get that stretch. But it's, yeah. it's much easier yeah. with the middle finger. So it all it all's kind of uh, legato, what they call sustained stuff, you know. There you go. Cool. That's, good. That's it. Dig it. Yeah. Dig it. Dig it. You're dig faster. It. You, yeah, I remember when we did we were doing Zoom or something. You were faster in hell to get that stuff. I thought, yeah, you're pretty good. Oh, <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, but then yeah. That, then I only you know then I do like at like thirty percent BPM. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was waiting for you to go. Yeah, that. What else you got? <laughs> got that? Nailed no it. way. No way. I'll take I'll take it all. Um, all right. So then from there, then we go into. So that's kind of like starts out with that one thing. Then you got the big uh, the big lick that moves way up the neck, covers a lot of real space. It's just the, the little chicken picking thing. Yeah. So is that first part? Is that is is that single note? Because I couldn't tell on the record if it was like a single note. Single note. Okay, so, and are you sort of going back and forth between the pick and the finger, like a? Uh, actually, I'm I'm just doing I'm using the pick. Oh, you are. We're, we're just kind of kind of a half pressure on it, you know. It's it's kind of a not full on pressure on the fret. And with on on your left hand, are you kind of pumping on the note to deaden it, or are you is that all in the right hand? The only the only thing I'm muting is just so there aren't any low strings ring out, but it doesn't play a, have an effect on the lick. I mean, it's not included in the lick. It's, it's just one. Uh, it's 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 the A note on the B string. To get that nice dead sound, are you though on your left hand? Are you kind of pulling off with each pick? Or is that just... That's it, right? Whatever you just did right there was, was yeah, right. Yeah, all right. There we go. It, it's, it's a feel thing. 
Yeah, you gotta get into staccato as you can. It's chickens. I love it. Yeah, in the barnyard, <laughs> the chickens are picking. I love it. I love how this lick then turns around over the E chord. That's kind of a classic move. There you go. You got that part. Oh, you're kind of doing a pull off there. I was doing. Yeah. I think you can do your own thing on that. It's not like there's only one phrasing you can do on that. It's just it's just the general. I should point out for the listener here at Shred with Shifty, we encourage everybody to do your own thing as much as possible. Um, okay, there we go. And that sets us up for the big closer lick. This, this, is, this is the one. That was just pure madness. I don't know what I... Uh, it's all... Uh, what are those, 16th triplets? Let's say one, two, do, do. That's a pickup note. One. So. So, so, I gotta play it fast. I have to play it too, too fast to, to figure it out. One, two, three, four. So it's... So... That's the ear twister there. It's a half. There you go. Just hang on that for a minute. Okay. Chromatic from the, from the uh, C. So, so it's that's it. Ooh. <laughs> it's ugly to stop there, isn't it? So the hard move is to hit that double stop right here after the chromatic. It 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 really snags up the hand. Let's talk about that a little bit, what's going on with the right hand. So you've got your, your picking and your popping on that one, right? So those, the, the double stops, you're, you're plucking with your fingers. And then are you doing like alternate picking on the, on the, on the chromatic stuff? It's a, it. When you do fast stuff, are you mostly doing the thumb pick and is it, is that your sort of back and forth, a finger and the thumb pick? Yeah, if I'm playing just a lot of fast notes, yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll use it like a pick too. If I'm... Sometimes, right. but it's, it's, it's just random. But for this, for people, if they really want to learn it like the way yeah. you did it, it's a, it's a back and forth. I never thought of to grab a straight pick so I could. Well, you don't. You don't have to. I just wanted. I just wanted to, to clarify that for people watching. It's. I think it's one of the reasons why your licks are so hard outside of the speed and the technique and everything else. It's just that's a difficult technique for most people, myself included. 
it, it, it falls in a syncopated kind of a, a, a yeah, it, it's, I'm trying to think. They're, they're like push notes, downbeats, the way it lands. I mean, you could do it like this. Where they're all 16th triplets, you know. That's probably a way I'd play it today. But sure. somehow I, I did this kind of def, but, 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 you know, everything was a push beat. It sounds like you, you're tripping over yourself, but you're not. Yeah, it's like, it's like Latin. It's like a Cuban thing. So from there, where does it go? So here slowly. That's 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 a little unclear there. I think there's a quick move there. It's hard to play slow. Here's the test. How I never, slow, I never really broke it down to that. How really. slow can you play it for the for the mortals at home? <laughs> okay, so that's so that's interesting. So when you go from that uh, double stop. So you're hitting that F sharp and then moving uh, over to the D stop. Yeah, yeah. That's a push. So you got that. One, two, That, that band yeah. behind the nut on the D style I mean you could you could play it here but it was something about that it just sounds real squirrely you know yeah yeah so come, coming down from that from that last double stop I just want to make sure I got this straight yeah that's it that's, okay those are the notes you gotta swing it They all kind of swing a little bit. One, two, three. Perfect. I'm going to get my metronome out and play that like 8,000 yeah. times to get it up to speed, buddy. Yeah. You, and you got to keep playing that till you want to pull out all your teeth and hair. <laughs> and they say, move out now. Your wife's going to move yeah. out. The kids and don't want to see you anymore. And then they say, and then they say, you, you want your phone to ring, right? For work? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you do me a favor just to, to, just to put the whole thing, put a bow on it? And I know you've played it in its entirety uh, already, but will you just give it to us one time all the way through the whole lead? 
Here's another way. It's like a one, two, three. That. So. Yeah, and that's how the 2023. That's how I would do it today. But but you know the other thing's kind of cool because it's real. It kind of twists your head a little bit. Yeah, it's wild. I love it. Amazing, it's dude. It's not a... Stop. Stop. You're fired. No, that drummer to shut the f*** up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's not that long of a solo. It's over. No, it's quick, man, but there's it chocks a lot in there. Yeah. There are lots of solos, great solos, great fiddle solos in there, too, just smoking it. It, it, it kind of trades off at the end. Yeah. Uh, so makes up for the short solo, but by having like 10 more in that solo. <laughs> Almost. Well, we can never get enough. Hey, you're listening to Shred with Shifty. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Brent, dude, you are amazing. Thanks for sitting here. Oh. Would, would you be so kind as to take some questions from the fans? Tell the two people. I'll, I'll take their Oh, questions. no. We, there's more than two. We're going to keep you busy okay. here. The people have sure. some questions, and they yeah. want to know things. Okay. So let's get into this, my friend. Okay. Thad Pittman wants to know, how do you keep from even unknowingly recycling licks? How is it you keep it all so fresh sounding? Well, I, I don't always. Sometimes it's hard when you play so many records and they're, they're kind of similar records. Sometimes you play a, uh, an intro or something. You go, Oh, you know, man, I think I might have played that before, but usually, um, on songs that have a, a recognizable melody or something, which differentiates each song, I kind of incorporate the melody into the intro, although they may be simple. It might be... You know, there's there's a lot of low kind of intros, low twangy intros I do, but it's, it, it's hard to do when you're playing so many sessions. Can I tell a story real quick? One yeah. time I did a, a gut string thing on a George, on a Tracy Bird, who's a Texas artist. Uh, he was a, a you know pretty big star in the '90s, and I did a, I did some kind of a lick, and then uh, I realized I played that lick on a George Strait record, you know, like a year ago. And guess what? They both came out, just had to come out at the same time, <laughs> and together in the charts in a way. And, I, and everybody goes, "Ah, I heard the lick!" I'm like, "Oh my god!" I mean, you know. do you have any sense of how many songs you've played on? Over the course of your career, do you keep a tally? 
No, no, I don't. Thousands. I, Thousands. I, Got I to be right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Posh Squatch. What? Posh Squatch wants to know. Hey, I got Brent. a question. Where did you get that name? That's well, I think we're That's about a to cool find out. He says, hey, Brent, Randy's buddy Roy. Wish we could play together sometime. Question for you, though. Any chance of a video of the top lick on your Keith Whitley song, Heartbreak Highway, which we referenced before? Uh, I'd have, I can do it. I'd have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and learn my own stuff, you know. Yeah. All right. But, well, there you go. Posh Squash. That's going to be uh, the uh, sequel episode to this one. Uh, we'll do that. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, El Loco Ridgeway wants to know, you've got to choose a guitar, not the famous gray one, with one pickup for the rest of your life. What are you choosing? And, but not the telly, not the not, main not one. Your, not your telly, just some guitar with one pickup. What's, the, what's that going to be? With one pickup? Yeah. Uh, it, might be that, it might be the 65 uh, burst Strat I have, which was in the flood, but it made it through... Uh, the neck pickup, which is a Bill Lawrence pickup, ironically. And I don't remember how it got in there, but it sounds great. For, you know, like for, it's fat and transparent kind of sounding. Yeah. So it's that 65 uh, burst, sunburst strap that I have. All right. Beach Beat Merchants wants to know, I'm always interested in knowing if players have any kind of routine to prevent hand injuries. If they did, how to deal with that kind of thing. Brent is working all the time. Yeah, have you ever had issues with your hands? Uh, yes, I've had, I've had like cortisone steroid shots in this one right here uh, where I'll get like trigger finger. I haven't had it for a while. I've had like, uh, I went into the hand doctor and he, he said, you want a shot in there, right? I go, yeah. I said, you've been in there five times. He said, I remember you came in there once, got a shot, went back to a session. <laughs> I said, yeah, I do. I sort of forgot that, you know? Yeah. In my old age, I'm forgetting. Like, I was in there more times than I thought. And that's, that's the only thing was, uh, was uh, I let it go for a while because I hated to get a shot in. And I thought it would just kind of you know, do certain exercises, might uh, get it back to normal, stretch it out and stuff. But it really didn't. I had to go in and get the shot. And it's it's painful when they shoot that thing into your knuckle, mm. the little needle. It goes, yeah. you, you go, you say all kind of ex expletives, you know, while sure. it's going in there. I was happy because I knew it was going to fix it when when they got yeah. done, and it did. And I haven't had that reoccurrence since then. So, you know, knock on wood. Brent Mason hurts for your listening pleasure. And, and another thing, don't stick your hand in like. Lawnmower blades, where they're going. <laughs> Don't yeah. try that. That's really that's good advice for just about any career path. Um, okay, John Ghost uh, has a question. He says, "I have a question for you. Your videos of you in the studio are great for so many reasons. My question is, what does it look like before that? After you walk in the studio and say hi to your buddies, does someone hand you a chord chart? Do you and the band listen to a demo in the control room and chat about the arrangement? Do you set up your gear? Maybe it's like my band. We drink a couple of beers, have awesome conversation about everything, including music, and then rehearse what we had planned. Uh, probably not, though. I I'm guessing on a, on, a, on a Nashville session, you're not drinking beers before, like during and, you know. Oh, uh, well, we did. Somebody had whiskey on their session, so. I think Blake Shelton brought in a bottle of whiskey one time. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> we, I go, okay. I, I said, I want to come. Let me wait and finish the song. And they, he was kind of teasing me on that. But uh, not. I think it, it was more of an advertisement. You know, here's the whiskey, my brand or something. Yeah. But sure. I, I don't, don't quote me on that. 
Uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, if we're doing, uh, who was it, John Rich or somebody had brought in some whiskey because, you know, and, but, but most of the time, here's, when we come into a studio, we, uh, first tell stories, have coffee, mainly coffee because it's starting in the morning, you know, so we need a sure. little, you know, bump. The artist will play a song, like a demo of it or a work, a work piece of it. Yeah. And somebody had already written out the charts, you know, while we were telling funny stories and drinking coffee and, and, you know, plugging in our equipment, getting sounds and everything. Now the cartridge guys come up and set my stuff up, but they they don't get the sounds. I don't have a guitar, you know, unless I'm, you know, when you're out on tour like yourself, you've got to have guitar techs, you know, sure to set your stuff up now. But we have cartridge guys come in and they set it all up, but they don't get sounds with it. Now. Unless you're a drummer, then you have a drummer. So I'll go out there and, you know, how's the sound in there? Great. Yeah, maybe I'll move that mic. Okay, great. Cool? We good? Okay. Coming in, get some coffee. Everybody does that. You know, the drums kind of take a little longer because, you know, they're more complicated. Get sounds. Listen to the song and look at the chart. And uh, the artist may say, you know, that bridge, though, you think it should be that long? Should I cut? We think you should cut out four bars of it. I don't think it's necessary. What are the lyrics? Yeah, you don't have any lyrics in there. You just repeated it. So let's cut. You know, so we're talking about the arrangement. Sure. And then when we kind of settle on that in in the control room, in the control room with the producer and the artist and everything, and everybody's in there with their papers, charts. We go out there and we start playing it, and then and then and then he may go. He or she may go, you know, I'm, I'm missing that bridge now. Let's put it back in. Okay. You know, so, so, and then pretty soon we got it, you know, structured out, sculpted out. It's good. And then we start to proceed to cut it and get the right take, you know. So that's all. I imagine you like everybody you're working with, you know, you know, from just being around the scene for so long. But like somebody of your stature, like, do you wind up? Are you comfortable? Does it just depend on the artist? Like, are you making suggestions about arrangements? Or are you kind of just chilling and waiting to see what the vibe in the room is? Like, how's that work? No, I make I make some, you know, I give them my opinions or so. I, I don't want to force them, you know. I, I just kind of feel it out first. If I feel yeah. that they're, you know, they're they're hip to, you know, you throwing your few cents worth in, uh, I'll do so. I mean, I can tell you on my own recordings. Especially this last one, because normally it would just be me playing all the guitar in it. But I had like, you know, uh, Charlie Warsham playing guitar and, and um, Bukovac was on a couple songs and Nate uh, Kettling, all these great guitar players. And like, I didn't really weigh in at all on what they were playing in real time. And a lot of what they played turned out to be the, in my opinion, like the most hookiest, best stuff on the tracks, you know, like it's not me. I'm just kind of hunkering down on some chords trying to get it right. And those guys were kind of off to the races. And, and I just thought about that so much afterwards, like, man, they just, those, those, they're, you know, technically it's not like we're a band. We, you know, I hired them for the session or whatever, but God, they had a huge impact on the overall thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, you know, they're, they're well trained and, and great players too, by yeah. you know, on, uh, at any level, and uh, very creative too. Those yes. guys you just mentioned are real creative and extremely. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes you go, I don't know if that's going to work, and then you kind of live with it. You go, that part, I can't imagine the song without that part. Now, right? So, like you're saying, yeah, absolutely. That's just that's just a sign of you got a good session guy. You got a great guitar player, and and he's honed in on his his tr skill. Yeah. 
Well, cool, man. Thank you so much, Brent. This has been amazing. People are going to love this, dude. This solo rips. Good. And you're a great, I mean, you're obviously one of the all-time, all-time kings of guitar playing and the Nashville world and all that stuff. But you're a great teacher, man. I love it. Thank you. Am I? Absolutely. Wow. Sometimes yeah. I wonder. You're patient. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Takes me a minute. Thanks, thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for Yeah, I appreciate work. it, buddy. All right, that was Mr. Brent Mason on Shred with Shifty. Thanks for watching. That's it, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Oh, sh I forgot. Adios, amigos. One, two, three. Shred with Shifty is created and hosted by me, Chris Shiflett, and produced in partnership with Double Elvis, Volume.com, and Premier Guitar. If you're digging the show, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you get our new episodes when they come out every other week. Shred with Shifty is produced by Jason Shadrick. Our executive producers are Brady Sadler and Jake Brennan for Double Elvis. Engineering support by Matt Tahaney and Matt Bowden. Our video editors are Dan DeStefano and Addison Savan. Special thanks to Chris Peterson, Greg Necron, and the entire Volume.com crew. Adios, amigos.